Hi there, I'm Randy Heckman. Welcome to the Grand Awakening Podcast. Folks, our desire is that we can incline the heart of our Sovereign Lord to pour out His Spirit in power, reviving His Church here in West Michigan, but also in our state and our nation, and then leading to a great spiritual awakening all for His glory. But for that to happen, it's just critical that first we listen to what God is saying to us and that we quickly and cheerfully respond to his instructions in humble obedience. Well, I am so thankful to be able to introduce someone that I've never physically met, but uh, we've corresponded via email and now we get to see each other's faces. And and I think you're going to see a, a real a bond here, um, even though, again, we're different places. East Tennessee, I'm in Michigan. But uh, we, we, we have some similar thoughts, and uh, I think you're going to be challenged by this. I want to welcome Cameron Smith to uh, the podcast. Thank you, Cameron, for joining us. It's great to be here. I'm, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Let me just tell you a little bit more about Cameron. He is, at this point, he's done a lot of things, but at this point, he's CEO of what he calls the Triptych Foundation. We'll talk more about what that is. And their mission, though, is to promote a more virtuous society through investments in media, business, and public policy, laying the foundation for sound cultural leadership. But prior to that, he served as executive director of the House Republican Policy Committee in Washington, D.C. Prior to that, provided counsel to Governor Bill Lee as part of that governor-elect's policy transition team. He's worked in the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee and served as an executive and general counsel with several nonprofits focused on shaping free market public policy, defending religious liberty, and promoting common sense in politics. I think we need a little bit more of that, by the way. Uh, common sense in politics. What are we talking about that? He brings a strong communications background to the foundation, having served as a columnist for the Birmingham News, a regular presence on talk radio, and contributive contributor on cable news and it's appeared on outlets such as fox news usa today new york times and national public radio uh, he's a law school graduate and uh, he uh, and his wife justine uh, live with their three sons and they have a foster son as well in nolensville tennessee and this is where it really gets interesting in your bio he he grows heirloom tomatoes. I don't even know what that is. Coaches youth sports, and he tinkers with small engines. So I love that in your bio. But again, thanks for being with us, Cameron. And I, again, I look forward to, to to talking a little bit more. But maybe we can start by the Triptych Foundation. What, what's that all about? So this, this is a labor of love from a couple of buddies and I, uh, God kind of hit us at the same time. The one thing you didn't mention about my bio is uh, I decided a long time ago that for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Amen. And, uh, I started looking at the culture and saying, well, I'm here on Capitol Hill. I'm in the fancy rooms that, you know, the people on the new cable news stations, you know, you see those folks in those rooms and I was like, but but it's too late. You know, by the time an issue gets here, it's already kind of decided and because the culture's decided it right. I mean, on any number of issues, doesn't matter what it is. If there's a public opinion on it, by the time it makes it to Washington, it's kind of baked into the cake. And we said, okay, well, well, how do you change culture? We looked at 
two specific issues that we knew changed really fast. The first was climate change. Mm-hmm. It went from being a non-thing right. to, wow, everybody's talking about this. And then a lot of the LGBTQ plus stuff where yes, every state went from having a marriage amendment to it kind of anything goes. Mm-hmm. And it was, wow, it, I don't care how you feel about those issues. They change really fast. And those yeah. are really hard to do, to completely do a 180 culturally. Yeah. And what we saw was a consistent pattern of for-profits and non-for-profits working together in an aligned fashion in the media. So television, independent film, documentaries, mm-hmm. in the climate change space, you'll remember Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth. Yep. Um, this was not just a Al Gore had a feeling and a movie came or a documentary came out. This was, hey, this is an issue. We need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. How do we fund it? Mm-hmm. And uh, we, we saw an actual pattern. It was not accidental. And uh, same thing with the LGBT stuff, like Will and Grace and some media projects sort of introduced mm-hmm. in the media space. Hey, this is, this is, families can look different, regardless of how you feel about it. It's how the mechanism was used to change. Yes. Um, And then you go to businesses and say, hey, businesses, these are the values we want you to adopt and reinforce with Mm -hmm. your philanthropic dollars, with your corporate policies. And then by the time it gets to Washington or state legislators, it's already done. The issue is over. Mm -hmm. And so we said, we kind of want to use the same process to compete in that space of values, not on those specific issues, but for character, for virtue in society, because we've kind of devolved into a culture that really doesn't have an ethical core that doesn't have a coherent set of values. And we believe that virtue matters regardless of your faith and it, it can change society. And so our goal is to engage in those three areas in that order mm-hmm. in order to impact society. Okay. All right. Well, that's good. Like uh, you, you mentioned that we don't really have this moral religious, truth-based foundation anymore. America has had that in the past, but we've lost that. So, I mean, don't we need to go back to, to that? I mean, that's where our ministry, Grand Awakening, is all about. We're, we're praying for, working for, getting spiritual awakening so that we truly, again, are one nation under God, indivisible. We don't, we're not there anymore. Um, uh, what about going deeper as far as changing hearts, starting with our hearts? You know what I'm saying? What, where does that? Yeah, I, I'm, at, at its core, I believe our culture. Well, I don't want to talk about the culture. I'll talk about the church. Yeah. The church is weak. Yeah. The church is impotent and it forgot what it was here to do. It was to fulfill the great commission and make disciples of all nations. And what's happened is the church tends to look outside itself and say, look at all the bad things in the world. There you go. Well, let me take you to the Roman empire. I mean, to be a Christian in the Roman empire is like, what you think it's bad in 2022. Some of the stuff that was going on in Rome was, and throughout the empire was crazy. Like by even our standards, that's true. And so the idea that the world is somehow worse than it's ever been is just that's just make believe, right? It shows that you haven't read history. That's right. What what has happened is that the church has weakened, and what I mean by that is people do not know the gospel. The people that do know the gospel don't know the Bible. Mm-hmm. They do not know the truth of God's word yet. They claim to believe it. And that, that is perhaps the greatest lie of all is a church 
where the people inside the walls don't know what they believe Mm -hmm. so that when they go out, um, I I was at a church in Washington, DC, Capitol Hill Baptist church where we were members and they took Mark Devers, the pastor there. They took very seriously the idea that if you carry the banner of Christ, you need to know what you believe. That's good. You need to understand the truth. And I think the church has said, well, Hey, we're going to do a cattle call. Anybody come in. And, and that's good to be inviting. But the, the Great Commission does not say, if you build it, they will come. That's Field of Dreams. That's a movie starring Kevin Costner. <laughs> the, the, the Great Commission says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And you're supposed to go to them, right? Right. That, you see Paul's missionary journeys. You see everything yep. in Scripture <laughs> is about going to where people who are lost are serving them, loving them and sharing the gospel. That's it. And the modern church has said, we will develop cloisters. And in some instances, mega cloisters where we create enclaves (laughs) for those who are inclined to believe, but we'll make it so easy on them to do nothing and know nothing so that they're sort of spongy, squishy people. And let me tell you for our savior to be able to haul a cross bloodied and beaten and then hang on it because he loved us for us to say, you know what? It's kind of an effort to roll out of bed on Sundays. So I don't really know about this whole going anywhere. I think maybe we'll do virtual church. I mean, if there's anything that you, before the church looks outward and criticizes the culture, it needs to have a reckoning with itself. Amen. Again, even though you and I have never talked before uh, this particular conversation, man, we are, in lockstep together. I mean, you talk about the Roman government, how evil that was and how, you know, they persecuted. I mean, at at one point, you know, Nero made Christians basically be nightlights in the streets. You know, he would douse them with tar or something and light them up and kill them and laugh. And, um, but the church grew during that Roman time. In fact, they said, you know, we turned the world upside down, really right side up. I mean, they they grew incredibly fast because they had the guts, because the, the sentence before the one that you quoted, go and make disciples, Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, because that's true, go, don't play defense, win. We're on the winning team ultimately. And it's funny that in the five nations in the world where the church is being persecuted, it's growing Whereas in the nations like America, where the church has been relatively free, we're in decline. And so it, 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 we, cannot, we have to quit blaming the world around us and the government. If they would only get the right bow, we could have our peace and quiet. And, and people can come into our church anytime they want. Well, yeah, but we're supposed to go. And Second Chronicles seven fourteen, you know, often quoted: "If my people, not the world, if my people called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways." See what wicked ways? Well, we have been more influenced by our culture. Hey, we deserve the comfort and the goodies, and and you know, the sexual thing, whatever, and uh, all the other things. We we just we need to change and be not hateful but loving, speaking the truth in love to those around us and drawing those and be willing to be persecuted and hated or laughed at, whatever, but still to be like, as you pointed out, Jesus was willing to do for us. The least we can do is say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. Well, and I I think the big issue that 
I keep seeing is that we, we talk about this truth and love thing, yeah. right? And we want to speak. Um, but the Bible says, be slow to speak, quick to hear, slow to anger. Yeah. And I think what I've had to learn, particularly with my foster son, I have a teenage foster son. So it's yeah. a really, we've had him for a month and a half and it is tough. Yeah. And what I've learned is my words are empty. He thinks I'm a liar because he's been lied to his whole life. Sure. But when I serve, when I do, it's real hard because it, it, I, he can't say, well, I'm lying because I've just shown him sure. what I believe. Uh, and so right. I think a lot of believers, they say, well, we need to speak the truth in love. And that's all they want to do is they want to talk. And my response is stop it. Like show, serve, go, yeah. do. If you are just sitting on your tail or on Twitter or on you know, some, some area where you're commiserating with people who already agree with you, you're wasting your time. None of the disciples really went to people who were already like high-fiving them, right? Yep. They went to places where the, the gospel was not preached. That's right. And I, I mean, Hebrews 12, 4 is one of the best verses to remind modern day Christians of what's going on. It says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet persevered to the point of shedding your blood. That's true. And so, you know, we think we have it bad because we don't have enough Netflix options that are edifying. <laughs> like, Really? Really? Okay, cool. Yeah, we, we don't, they speak me, they say we're bigots and racist yep. and all the, the bad things, right? Yep. Well, one, don't be those things. Two, don't be weird and have the sacrificial love that Jesus demonstrated. This isn't about you. And yet we're, and I've heard it because I've been in the circles. Well, we need to protect our religious liberties. We need to protect all this. You need to protect the fatality of the gospel. Amen. You know, if people, if people persecute you, we pray for those people. Amen. You know, Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's right. And, and if Jesus who is fully man, fully God yep. in a tremendous amount of pain can have the clarity to see, they just don't get it. Yep. I mean, that's not a hateful, you know, that's a God have mercy on them because they don't see. Yeah. And you know, I think for people watching this and people who I talk to, you know, be like Christ, you know, have that love, have that service. And they, and, you know, people immediately go say, well, at times he had that righteous anger. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And if you can maintain righteous anger, then let's do that. But I think you're just looking for an excuse to be angry. Yeah. And that's, that's where, you know, I, I, <laughs> I love, um, Reagan's quote about, or, or the concept of the happy warrior, because, I mean, I think that's a lot of what Jesus was. He was not a soft doormat. That's right. But he showed joy and, and joy and suffering. Right. Yeah. And, you know, when we're hearing not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because suffering produces character and character hope and that hope doesn't disappoint. That's when right. a Christian can internalize that and say, you know, I'm suffering. Life is not great. You know, I am in the thick of it. I don't know that I have the ability to share the gospel right now because I am just buried. I am like, that is when God is shown strong because Amen. you are weak. That is so powerful. I love that, Cameron. And you talk about Reagan. You know, I often think 
how politics was back in his era. Remember Tip O'Neill on the other side? I mean, they were totally different politically, but they didn't hate each other. They said, we're, we're, we're Americans. We, we disagree on policy, but we don't have to hate each other. But that's not how it is today. If you're on the other side of the aisle, man, you're the enemy. You're the cause. Well, no, you're the cause. No, you're the and it's, it's Oh, it's ugly, ugly. And we Christians are just buying into that. We, we begin to point fingers, like you say, and we get angry. We're supposed to love our enemies and pray for those even who persecute us, said Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Doesn't mean we don't stand for something. Doesn't mean that we don't want our country to get back. It'll never be perfect, but to get back to the place where there's a greater degree of freedom uh, and, and, and so on. But it, it's not going to get there unless we see hearts changed by Jesus. And, uh, you know, you, you know, William Wilberforce, does that name ring a bell with you at all? The abolitionist. Yep. And uh, he was in England. He was a member of parliament. He tried to end the slave trade. He couldn't do it because the slave trade, you know, it put a lot of food on the table for a lot of people. It was a big booming business until the second great awakening happened and hearts changed. And then he got the votes overwhelmingly to end the slave trade in England. And uh, to me, Again, public policy is important. You agree you, you've worked in that area for many years. You get it. Government's important. It's, God's got a role for government. But like a state senator told me when we were trying to change the, the divorce laws in Michigan uh, many, many years ago, and I was working for Michigan Family Forum, he said that public policy is a lagging indicator of, of the culture, the health of the culture. And I take it one step further. The health of the culture is a lagging indicator of the health and effectiveness of the church. We're, we are to be the salt and the light. And that's what we've been talking about. We haven't been. We've been just sitting in our little churches, huddling up, waiting for the second coming, mad because we're losing all the good stuff we're supposed to get because we're American Christians, for crying out loud. Oh, God, forgive us. So what's it going to take for the church to, to get this message and repent and be the church rather than just occasionally go to church? Uh, just an actual understanding of the gospel mm. and enough people that do. I mean, we, we try to act like there's a plan here that it, we have to design and we have to create and how mm. we have. No, it's already there. It's the gospel. We just don't understand it in the way God presented it to us. Yeah. And, and this isn't some like Gnostic wisdom. It's brutal love. It's <laughs> so good. That's, that's what people don't understand is they, and, and I've really tried to focus on that phrase, brutal love, that it's, I'm dying to myself. Wow. John the Baptist, when, when, when yep. Jesus is baptizing folks, John's disciples come to him and they say, you know what? This Jesus guy's taking away your thunder. And he says, this is a great line. He said, he must become greater. I must become less. I love it. And and it's it's the understanding of the gospel that is giving your life away. That is what changes. And you don't need everybody in America to do it. And, and I would urge you to get away from the phrase of let's go back to something. I don't want the America of your childhood. Yeah. I want America for my grandkids. That's really good. And so so we're not going back to anything because frankly, for a lot of people, particularly black Americans, mm -hmm. women, like mm -hmm. it, depending on how far you go back, it gets pretty rough. That's true. And so I'm saying, look. The gospel is there for everybody, right? And yep. it's, it, I care about that more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, I'm not a good. I've made mistakes. 
you know, David was a man after God's old heart. He was a murderer and an adulterer and God used him. Mm-hmm. And I think we always look for excuses. We look for the why nots. We look for, well, I can't change culture. I'm like, start with your family, read the Bible at night. Yeah. Like don't, don't make it so impossible that you can't follow Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's what's happening is the church is like waiting for a super pastor. They're waiting for a Tim Keller or somebody else to give them a great sermon so that they can do what they should already do. Oh, and that's, that's I have, I, my dad was like, Hey, you know, I think you should be a pastor. And I was like, no, absolutely not. My life needs to present the gospel with everything I do, but I have no interest in going into a house of worship and proclaiming the gospel to people who should already know it. And I, I think that's where, you know, I, particularly men. So going even more specifically within the church, yep. men who, who's God said, Hey, you guys got to lead here have failed. They have been apathetic. Mm-hmm. They have said, yes, well, this is hard and people might not like me. And mm-hmm. they, uh, you know, then they retire and a lot of folks are like, well, I'm put out to pasture. So I'll just kind of yep. buy my time till I die. And if you don't have a point mm. for me, the point is the gospel, right? Everything I do, I draw a line and say, does this advance the gospel? And if it doesn't, I don't do it. Right. Yep. Whether that's coaching youth football yep. or working with clients, it's mm-hmm. how I, how I live my life should reflect mm-hmm. what I believe all the time. Yes. And so I tell men that are my, my age, men that are younger than me that I'm yep. teaching. Yep. And I've even talked with my dad and his peers, like yep. get off your tail. Amen. I don't care if you're retired, do something because that's where people are like, well, the church is struggling. Yup. All right. What are you going to do about it? Well, it's struggling. Well, what are you going to do about it? Well, it's struggling. I mean, and you see this continual yeah. loop of nothing yeah. and the, the people that do the particularly young people who are engaged, mm-hmm. they, they are given a weak feelings based yeah. gospel. That is just a shell of what it really is. And they think, well, as long as I'm happy and I'm singing worship songs, I'm doing God's work. God's work is painful. It is dirty. Your hands will be calloused because it is, it is hard. And I tell my boys one thing, and I'll, I'll kind of conclude with this. Yeah, sure. I say Smith men try hard things, right? And if it is not difficult, it is, if it is not challenging, if there is no resistance, then it is not worth doing. And following Jesus, there's a lot of resistance. And if there's not, you need to ask why. Yeah, that's so good. Boy, preach it, brother. I want to transition real briefly into the reason why I contacted you. The Grand Rapids Press printed an an essay or column that you wrote on the population issue. And that's something that I have written on, talked about, and uh, learning more and more about. You know, back in the 60s, we were totally convinced that we had this overpopulation problem that's going to just kill us all off the population bomb by Paul Ehrlich and so many other writings just said, oh, this is terrible, terrible. Well, the reality is we have underpopulation and uh, the the median age of Americans, of really people in the world is going up. I feel sorry for the younger people when they reach their senior years, there, there will be insufficient funds to take care of their medical needs and so on. And and uh, Lee, you, you've studied this and you, you write about it. Anything you want to share on that theme? Yeah. 
So this was one. So I hear about population collapse and decline. I'm like, oh, great. Another conspiracy theory. Yeah. So I start looking at the data that's publicly available. Anybody can go look at it. It's not a secret. Yep. Um, that talks about total fertility rates. And what this is, is the number of children a woman has over the course of her life. The, so the, aver- the average woman in a country, for example. Right. Yep. What, how many right. does it and take so, to, to break even? It takes what? It takes 2.1. That's, that, right. that's the, what it has to be. I mean, you think about it, you have a man and a woman have a child. Well, that replaces one of them. That's right. So they have to have two and you have mortality. So it's about 2.1. That's right. You even no state in the United States is above the break even. That's right. And what that means is, and people say, well, they're still building houses around me. The population is still growing. I'm like, yeah, it is because that's a, that is a number over the course of a woman's life. And so what we're going to find out is over time, like I use Japan, for example, Japan is predicted to have half of its population by 2100. That's right. You know, you and I probably won't be alive then, but the that's a that is a very short historical yep. time frame where yep. they'll their population will half. The article that I wrote said, look, if you want to build the wall, that's great, but you better make sure that you're having enough babies before you do that. Because mm-hmm. the only way the United States population is predicted to remain roughly flat by 2100 yeah. is because of immigration. That's it, it is our population that will age, yep. will have not enough workers, and we'll have to import them from around the world, say, come to America so that you can take care of our aging population, yeah. which means countries like Japan and, uh, and other places mm-hmm. won't have them. And so their populations will collapse. And yep. so I, I think, and, and this kind of points to my conclusion, yep. family policy is the most important policy. How you treat growing families mm-hmm. is not just a ethical issue but it is a structural issue to society. And so you want to incentivize people to have children, build healthy, intact families so that you have what you need in the future. And and that's, that's represented by the data. Yeah, that's, that's good. In fact, as you study it, you'll see that the, the demographers, and these are not all Christian demographers, just demographers predict that the world population will begin to decline in about 30 to 35 years and they say there's no way to turn it around. And again, there'll be aging, declining population. Let me just throw one other thing as a Christian. You know, we have all this discussion about abortion these days, right? And we Christians just say, oh, yeah, that's that's bad, killing those unborn babies. But God convicted me a number of years ago that even though I've been pro-life forever, I've been totally opposed to Roe v. Wade when it was enacted in 1973, But God convicted me that I actually had, and I'm going to say it, a pro-abortion attitude. You say, what? Why do people have abortions? Well, they want to kill the baby. No, that's not their primary concern. They find themselves inconveniently pregnant. Sex is great, but having a child is not something they want to do. So they're going to take a specific step to put a wall between sex and children. And in their case, it's it's ending the abortion through uh, the, the pregnancy through abortion. Well, who has had the same attitude? Sex, great. I don't want a child. Me. So I'm going to take specific steps to put a wall between one and the other. I suggest to you that is a pro-abortion attitude. 
God is the one that creates children in the womb, not, not biology. He uses biology, but Psalm 139 makes it very clear. And uh, Jeremiah 1, you know, God who for, you formed me in the womb and so on to become a prophet. And, uh, and I, I came to the point where I said, in, in fact, we had four lovely daughters. You had sons. We have daughters. And, uh, you know, I was done because like we couldn't afford anymore. I didn't want him, you know, we couldn't fit anymore in our car or house. And I wanted an airplane. And I could imagine maybe a six passenger airplane. And Marcia, my wife prayed this scary prayer, God, that's enough kids. But if you want us to have more change, Randy and God began to mess with me. And we now have 12 children, but each one is a message. Uh, I mean, I just can, I just could cry thinking not those last eight, Again, perfect? No. Easy? No. Cheap? No. But God provided the resources and so on, and they are touching lives in places and at times that we will never be able to go. Children are messengers, messengers to the future. And uh, so anyhow, to me, that's an area, another area that the culture has influenced us in the church. It's that, well, you know, you got to have an easy life, so maybe two kids maybe none. I mean, that's up to you, but sex is important. So I just think that there's so many ways, my friend, that the culture has influenced us much more than we have been salt and light to our culture around us. You don't need to respond to that, but feel free. Feel free. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that the things that I've learned with my boys are that Family matters deeply and mm. particularly a message to men listening yeah. to this, yes. lead your families. Well, Amen. don't just abdicate to your wives and say, wife, you know, do these things. No, you lead. Well, Amen. that means serving. It doesn't Amen. mean dictating. And I think if we do that, if we read scripture with our families, we engage with our families and Hey, for folks that hear this, that they've got resources and space, find kids to bring into your home. Mm. Uh, foster them, adopt them, do what you can to make sure people have yep. family. Yep. And because not everybody's privileged to have that. And so find somebody that doesn't and say, I love you because Jesus loved me. And that's, that's good. good enough for I me to it. serve you. That's good. And if we do that, I mean, God, God can use that to change yep. the world. That's good. And yep. that's what we need. Let me just put a PS on my comments is that what I'm talking about is the Lordship. Jesus is supposed to be Lord of every area of our life, but it should include that area of family size. And again, if there are medical issues and so on, God understands that. He respects that. That's that. I'm not saying that everyone has to, you know, your wife's in a coma in the hospital. We've got to produce. No, no crazy. And it doesn't have to be that serious, obviously. But I'm just saying is that he needs to be Lord of everything, of our time, of our efforts, of our communication, of, of who we are, just as you've pointed out repeatedly, and I appreciate that. Now, your, your Triptych Foundation, if people want to get more information on that, how do they do that? Cameron. You can go to Triptych Foundation, T-R-I-P-T-Y-C-H, foundation.org. You can find me at D Cameron Smith on Twitter, and I write a column on a lot of these topics um, for AL.com. You can go to AL.com slash opinion, find me there, or on the USA Today Network based at the Tennessean. Awesome. And you've done, you're doing some neat things with Triptych, producing audio programs and so on. And, and uh, there's so much more that they can see there. And Triptych, again, is spelled T-R-I-P-T-Y-C-H, foundation. It's .com. 
Dot org. Dot org. Sorry. Dot org. Thank you. Well, thank you for being with us. How about closing us in prayer? Would you? Sure. Dear Lord, I pray that you would move in the hearts of your people. Mm -hmm. Uh, Help us to honor you with what we say, what we do, and how we raise our families. Lord, uh, we live in a dark day, but you're a God that can help us stand in that evil day. Lord, I pray that we would love brutally, Mm -hmm. that we would give our lives away in furtherance of the gospel. Lord, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I love that brutal love. It's a great call, my brother. So it's been fun. It'd be fun to meet you in person one of these days. But I'm proud of you and thankful for all you've done and continue to do. God bless you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. For more information, go to grandawakening.org. That's grandawakening.org.